hello and welcome to the East Baltimore Graffiti Church's podcast. We are so excited to have you join us today. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at ebgraffitichurch at gmail.com or you can check us out on our website at ebgraffitichurch.org. Hey, turn with me in your Bibles to Nehemiah, Nehemiah, the second chapter. So I will get there myself. Nehemiah chapter 2. Nehemiah chapter 2. So last week, remember, we talked about uh, Nehemiah. We opened up uh, remembering, use your words, Charlie, we finished the book of Ezra. The temple was rebuilt. The people were there. They had some struggles. They had some challenges. Many, several years have gone by, right? The city of Jerusalem was broken. As a matter of fact, in Nehemiah chapter 1, by way of review, it said the city was broken and the people of the city were broken. And then Nehemiah asked his friends, Nehemiah asked, actually it was his brother, uh, some men from Judah came and he asked them, what's going on in Jerusalem? What's going on in our city? And they gave him a very sad report. The gates, of course, Nehemiah knew, but the gates were burned. The doors were burned down. The wall was broken down. The city was vulnerable. The people who were there, right, the remnant of the people who were there, um, they were broken. They were sad. They were, what did the word, the word we used last week, the Bible used was that they were a reproach, that their neighbors had no respect for them because their city was broken. They knew that they were vulnerable. People could come in and take whatever they want. And Nehemiah was heartbroken because Jerusalem was the center of worship for Israel. Jerusalem had been a great city. It had been where God said, my spirit's going to dwell here. This is where all the people of Israel are going to come and worship. And yet the children of Israel are in exile because of their disobedience to God. The city is broken down. Even though the temple was rebuilt, the walls of the city are broken down and the gates are burned. Remember, we learned last week from chapter 1 to chapter 2 that Nehemiah spent over four months fasting and praying. We talked about that, right? We said um, he was mourning, fasting, praying, and crying. He took his time before God before he took action. Nehemiah was a builder. Ezra, remember, Ezra was a man of God. He was a scribe. Ezra was more like a pastor. Nehemiah is a builder. Nehemiah is going to be a get it done kind of guy. But before Nehemiah did anything, he spent four months on his face in front of God, unashamed, weeping, grieving, right, over the state of his city. We said we talked about uh, the current state of our city here in Baltimore, and in some ways, things in our city are broken. Systems in our city are broken. People in our city are vulnerable, right? Sometimes people look on our city with reproach, and they say disrespectful things about our city and even those of us who live here. And sometimes um, we are a reproach to others. There are things in our city. We said that the mayor can't fix our city. The governor can't fix our city. Only a revival, a movement of the Holy Spirit, and the salvation of souls through Jesus Christ will be 
the salvation of our city. Amen. So we said, we talked about this last week. Now, chapter two, it's been four months that Nehemiah has been praying. And our title this morning is Perseverance. Perseverance. You know, um, Nehemiah's story is one of perseverance. People talk about Nehemiah because he was a great leader. And they write books and they have bullet point outlines of how to be a great leader like Nehemiah. But we're going to see some things about Nehemiah that maybe people don't talk as much about. I don't know. Sermons I've heard, oh, strong man, great man of God. And he is all of these things. He's a leader. He's a builder. People follow him. All these things are true. But um, we're going to see some things that Nehemiah had to persevere through in order to be this guy. Uh, As a matter of fact, many years ago, Many years ago, a young Midwestern lawyer suffered from such deep depression that his friends thought it best to keep all knives and razors out of his reach. He questioned his life's calling and the prudence of even attempting to follow it through. During this time, he wrote, I am now the most miserable man living. Whether I shall ever be better, I cannot tell. I awfully forebode, I shall not. But somehow, from somewhere, Abraham Lincoln received the encouragement that he needed and the achievements of his life thoroughly vindicated his bout with depression. See, a lot of folks don't know, and I've read, and and I'm lazy, I watch documentaries as well, but Abraham Lincoln suffered from depression. And what if he had just quit? What if he had given up? As a matter of fact, you know, some people say, and and now, praise God, things are changing in our culture and in our society and in our world at large regarding things like depression, right? That depression is a weakness or that depression is sinful. And neither of those things are true, by the way. Amen. Um, And millions, and I read, so the statistics vary so much, I'm not even going to quote any of them to you. It would be disingenuous of me. I looked over here and it said this many million and over here it said this many millions of people are suffering from depression in our country and in our world today. Uh, Students, teenagers are committing suicide and, 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 and living in depression. And I know, and I'm not going to say that I'm not going to say Jesus Christ is the answer and walk away because that is not fair to people who suffer from depression. Jesus Christ is the answer for all that we suffer. And yet sometimes as Christians, we'll make a statement and walk away and expect somebody to be different. And that's just not so. As a matter of fact, uh, there was a guy in 1835 uh, a man visited a doctor in Florence, Italy. So we'll lighten it up a little bit, right? Uh, maybe not. He was filled with anxiety and he was exhausted from lack of sleep. He couldn't eat. He avoided his friends. The doctor examined him and found that he was in prime physical condition. Concluding that his patient needed to have a good time, the physician told him about a circus in town and its performer, a clown named Grimaldi. Night after night, he had the people rolling in the aisles. You must go and see him, the doctor advised. Grimaldi is the world's funniest clown. He'll make you laugh and he'll cure your sadness. No, replies the despairing man. He can't help me. You see, I am Grimaldi. So regardless of what we see on the outside, often people are suffering on the inside. 
And we're going to see this great man, this guy, this builder, this Nehemiah, he is going to have to persevere through depression. As a matter of fact, they say, Charlie, how do you know that? Um, verse 2, it says, so now Nehemiah is the cupbearer to the king. There's a big festival getting ready to start. As a matter of fact, some believe that Nehemiah was the bartender for the entire, uh, he was like the bartender for the entire celebration, right? Great faithful man of God. He's the bartender for the king's party. He was a cupbearer to the king. He brought the king his wine. Everything that the king tasted and drank had to be taken through this chain of custody because so many people wanted to take the king out. Nehemiah's job was serious. Nehemiah had access to the king. And so it was very important. His job was important. Nehemiah was out in front of all the people. And the king said to me, matter of fact, the king says three things. We say three questions. The third one is kind of like a eh, statement question. But so the king, very observant guy, asked Nehemiah three questions. Um, as a matter of fact, we can go to the next slide. He says, why are you so depressed? One version of the Bible that I read said sad. The Hebrew word for sadness here literally is the word for depression um, in the Hebrew language. So Nehemiah, why are you so depressed? And he says, even though the king kind of knows the answer, are you unwell? Are you sick? Are you unwell? Physically unwell? Because the king kind of could tell that it wasn't that, right? And then the third thing he says, it seems you are sad of heart. Again, there was another form of the same word, the sadness of heart, meant depression. So here is this guy in front of the king, right? As a matter of fact, if you were and I were to go in front of the king with a sad face and we worked for the king, we could be fired, we could be thrown in jail. Or if you made the king or the queen unhappy and you were in their presence, they could just have you taken out. Literally, right? The king says, so the king says, what's wrong with you, Nehemiah? As a matter of fact, not necessarily a man of faith in God, right? But the king was observant. And some even say that the king was a compassionate king. He actually cared about this cupbearer, this guy, Nehemiah. And he says, so he asks him these three questions. Why are you so depressed? Nehemiah gives him the answer, right? Uh, in verse two, so... He's, I said to the king in verse 3, at the end of verse 2, though, we see something else. It says, Nehemiah was very much afraid because he knew if the king didn't like his appearance or what he said or how he did his job. By the way, this guy's suffering from depression and maybe he had a little healthy fear of the king too, but in the midst of depression and in the midst of whatever he had been praying for these last four months, he knew his opportunity was coming. He's in front of the king. He may not have been in front of the king during that entire four months. He may or may not have been. But during this time of preparation for celebration, he could go in front of the king and he was afraid for the king's response. So we see Nehemiah, he showed up for work even though he was depressed. Nehemiah was a man of God. Nehemiah was faithful. Nehemiah was praying, weeping, and grieving over his people for whom God had given him a burden. And yet he was doing all of this at the same time he was struggling with depression. He was a faithful man. He was being faithful to God. He was being faithful to his people. He was being faithful to his calling. He was being faithful to his job and all the while. And you know, some of the symptoms of depression, we, 
we, we don't like the things we normally like. Some people, we sleep all the time. Some people who suffer from depression don't sleep at all. Some people suffer from depression and eat everything in their sight. Some people suffer from depression and don't eat at all. We don't love the things that we normally would have liked in our lives. So all these different things. But Nehemiah was grieving. Sometimes grief can even lead to depression and you haven't done anything wrong. Nehemiah was grieving this great loss of what was going on in Jerusalem, what was going on with his people. So number two, next slide. Oh, you probably read it. You don't have to go back. But in this case, the writer said, in this case, the inner feeling of Nehemiah was reflected in his outward appearance. You know, what we feel on the inside often, some of us play it better than others. I'm not very good at it. Um, but what's going on inside of us sometimes is reflected even in our, our physical appearance. When one is struggling with depression, sadness, grief, anxiety, it shows. Sometimes we need to be like the king and be keen, keen observers of others so that we can care for people who are suffering so that we, like the king, can ask good questions uh, in order to care for people. Um, and yet here we are. So here is Nehemiah. And then verse 2, uh, the second half of verse 2, it says, Then I was very much afraid, and I said to the king, Let the king live forever. Why should my face not be sad? So Nehemiah knows here is his moment. Now he's scared, right? Now he's scared. He's persevering through depression. He's going to persevere through this anxiety because he's afraid. He knows this is his moment. He's been waiting for this for four months. He's in front of the king and the queen. He knows he has to, he has to seize the moment, right? Carpe diem, seize the day because he's been praying for four months. He's got something on his heart. He's got something on his mind. He hasn't shared it yet, but what is it going to be? So he perseveres through fear and anxiety. Listen, friends, um, sometimes, sometimes for those suffering from clinical depression, sometimes a good day means you got out of bed and put clothes on. Sometimes that's a good day. Suffering from clinical depression, a good day means that, man, maybe you just showed up to work. You didn't do much work, but maybe, hey, I showed up today. You know, 99% of life is just showing up sometimes. You know, um, depression is real. Depression doesn't mean you're weak. Depression doesn't mean you're a sinner. Anxiety, some people suffer from crippling anxiety and, and fears that, that others do not understand. And yet somehow... And we're going to see and hear a little bit about what God will say. Because of his great love and his compassion for you and for me, there are strategies for those who suffer from depression. And there are strategies that those who suffer from crippling anxiety and grief and sadness. So Nehemiah, this great man of God, this builder, this doer, this strong guy, uh, he's struggling with He's struggling mightily here in the beginning of his mission. But next, we're going to see, next slide, we're going to see the next thing. Nehemiah, remember, we said last week, 14 prayers documented in the book of Nehemiah. Not the longest book either, 13 chapters, I think, right? 14 prayers. Nehemiah was a man of prayer. Listen, my friends, for those of us, and we talked about prayer last week, and we said prayer and fasting 
And, and, and I very humbly said from a position, not from a position of authority, but from a position of humility, I said, where is your prayer life? I shared with you that my prayer life, I knew I was convicted that my prayer life was not as it ought to be. And I'm not talking about the length of hours that you spend praying or your knees got bruises because you're on your knees. Listen, you know what Jesus said, we're to go into our prayer closet, close the door behind us and not let anyone know we're in there. But but the, what is the condition of my prayer life? Listen, this guy was a man of prayer. He didn't just start praying when he realized God was giving him something to do. He was always a person of prayer, I am certain. Some of us need, I'm speaking to myself right here so I don't get in trouble, need to break out, need to break out of this um, of this laziness of prayer in my life and get on my face and weep and fast before God like Nehemiah did because I care about the broken things in my city and I care about the broken people in my city. And sometimes I have to overcome my own depression or sadness about things so that I am in a position to serve God so that it's not about me, but it's about Jesus. And that is hard. Listen, Listen, if you have suffered grief and loss, if you live in Baltimore City, almost everyone that I speak to has a story of grief and loss, um, that they have lost someone that they have loved. Um, and, and, and not always to murder and violence, but in our city so often the stories revolve around violence and addiction and we suffer from these losses. It causes depression. It causes sadness. Yeah. And we have to deal with our grief. Why? One, because Jesus, one thing we know, God is aware of your grief. God is aware of what you are going through. God was aware of what Nehemiah was going through. But the great, one of the most important strategies, one of the most successful strategies that you and I can have is our prayer life. Take your grief to the Lord. Take your anxiety to the Lord. Hey, God knows you're depressed. God, I'm depressed. I can't even get out of this bed today. God says, I love you anyway. I love you anyway. I'm going to help you get up today or I'm going to help you get up tomorrow, but I love you. And, and so we need to not live in this fear, guilt, and shame over our can. Nehemiah didn't. So now here he is. He's persevering in prayer. Even as the words are getting ready to come out of his mouth in front of the king that he knows could cost him his life, he says it. The king said to me, well, what would you request? So I prayed to the God of heaven. <laughs> Even while he's in front of the king, the words are getting ready to come out of his mouth. In his head and his heart, he's praying. And now the words are getting ready to come out of his mouth. I said to the king, if, you're, uh, if it please the king and if your servant has found favor, send me to Judah to the city of my father's tombs that I may rebuild it. Listen, God had been putting something on Nehemiah's heart and mind that he had not shared with anyone yet. Sometimes when God is doing something in your heart and in your mind and in your life, you know, we all want to, um, you know, jump on Facebook and make some nice quote and get some likes so we can feel good about ourselves. Or we want to tell everybody we know. And sometimes it is good. We're supposed to share and encourage others. But sometimes God is doing something and God is doing something in your heart and in your life. And he says, hey, keep this one to yourself for a while because God's dealing with you. God's dealing with me. Sometimes it's time to just be quiet before God. But look, four months, my man was fasting and praying. Listen, he wasn't just, listen, God was doing something there. God was doing something there. And how do we know? Well, look at verse five. He, he answers. Then the king said to me with the queen sitting beside him. So here's another response. Verse six. How long will your journey be? And when will you return? 
Nehemiah's journey was 12 years. Dude was going on a 12-year mission trip. As a matter of fact, he also had to travel over 900 miles from Susa to Jerusalem. I checked that three or four times. I had no idea my geography is not that good. It was like a three-month journey just to get there. As a matter of fact, you think Nehemiah, while he was fasting and praying, he was just sitting there twiddling his thumbs? No, he knew. He says, so if it pleased the king to send me, I gave him a definite time. 900, yeah, well, I mean, he didn't get on an airplane. He didn't get on Amtrak. My man was riding a donkey or a horse. 900 and some miles on a horse. Y'all know what that might feel like. And I said to the king, verse 7, listen, you think Nehemiah, God wasn't formulating this plan in his head and in his heart? He said, and I said to the king, he's getting bold now. He's getting bold. If it please the king, let letters be given to me for the governors of the province beyond the river, that they will allow me to pass through until I come to Judah. He knew he was going to face opposition. He knew people weren't going to like what he was going to be doing. He knew all of these things ahead of time. He prayed about this. He thought this thing through. God put these things on his heart. He's a strategist. He's a builder. He's a smart man. He says, and give me a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make the beams for the gates of the fortress, which is by the temple, for the wall of the city and for the house to which I will go. Give me a letter for the keeper of the forest, because I'm going to need some lumber to do my job too. And the king granted them to me because the good hand of my God was upon me. Even during times of depression, anxiety, and fear, the hand of your good God is upon you. Even during times of depression and sadness and whatever we may be going through, the God who loves you, his good hand is upon you and he still has work for you to do. He still wants you and me to persevere through whatever it is we are going through. You and I, we can serve God even while we deal with our own our own stuff inside, anxiety, fear, sadness, depression, because God has a plan for us. God has a plan for you and me. It might not be rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem or the city of Jerusalem, but there is something because the Bible says if you're God's child, he's given you gifts and he has a plan for your life. Amen. So here's Nehemiah. By the way, um, you don't see it right here, but before the end of the chapter, it, it, it becomes apparent, not because uh, it's really not apparent. I read a book that told me, um, so I'm not that smart. But, but the king had elevated Nehemiah to the position of governor. Actually, it does say it in the next chapter. So not only, not only does Nehemiah make this bold request and this stuff is rolling out of his mouth, all of a sudden, maybe it doesn't say, but maybe the fear is gone. And he had three or four requests. He knew, he knew what it was going to take. That four months of prayer and fasting and weeping resulted in the plan that God gave Nehemiah, uh, the plan that God gave Nehemiah, not the plan that Nehemiah thought up, not the thing that Nehemiah wanted to do, but the plan that God gave Nehemiah to serve his people. Amen? Amen. So, he says, I came to the governors and I showed them the king's letters. Now the king had sent me with officers of the army and horsemen. Listen, listen, the hand, the favorable hand of his God was upon him. They're in 
captivity to the Medes and the Persians. And this Persian king sends some Persian horses with Persian soldiers and some letters on Persian letterhead with a seal on them saying, this is now Governor Nehemiah and this is what he's going to do and y'all are going to let him do it because the favorable hand of his God was upon him. So here is this guy weeping, fasting, praying. He knows his people are vulnerable. The city's broken down. The people are broken. His heart is broken. Remember, this all started with God breaking his heart for his people. This is about people. This is about relationship. Nehemiah cared about the people who were suffering in the city. Nehemiah cared about the place of worship that he was going to rebuild. Well, the temple had been rebuilt. Nehemiah cared about God's reputation. God's city and God's people were a reproach because the walls were broken down and the city was burned up. Nehemiah didn't like that disrespect going to his God or to his people. So you see, God gave Nehemiah this vision. He's persevering in prayer. In verses 5 through 8, we see now, now it seems as though Nehemiah has turned the corner. He's persevering with confidence. He asked the king for all these things. And by the way, you see in verse 8, um, in verse 9, truly, in verse 9, the journey has begun. Um, We'll go there in a minute. But... He's persevering with confidence in verses 5 through 8. And we'll see uh, several things about that. Next slide. You know, I thought about this. Someone said something to me, um, and I I, I can't quote it exactly, so I kind of made up my own version of it. If your dream or vision is something that you can accomplish on your own, then it's too small. If your dream or your vision is something you can accomplish on your own, then it is too small. You know, both my um, ministries as a pastor prior to coming here, my church ministries, um, I was an associate pastor. I was a youth pastor. I was always second or third in command in the church. I didn't have to take all the heat or take all the shots that the senior pastor did. Sometimes the folks, folks will like me better because I, I used to say JYP, just a youth pastor. And so I got to do all, I got to do the good stuff and the pastor took the heat. You know, um, I came to Baltimore City and that party was over. You know what? God gave us a vision to start a church in Baltimore City. God gave us a vision to love people in Baltimore City. God gave us a vision to share the gospel in Baltimore City. And I knew it was way more than anything I could do. Matter of fact, at one point, I think I told Diane, I just want to go, let's just quietly go back home and, and we'll get over this, you know. But you know, that's not, that's not how it works. That's not how it works. So the vision that God had given us was so big that I was scared of it. That wasn't all bad, right? Because we didn't quit. But, but there's no way that a little mission church, that a little church plant, could have a building of its own. There's no way. That's crazy. We don't even take in enough money to support ourselves. How are we going to support a building? Um, what in the world? Who in their right mind is going to go to Baltimore on purpose anyway to start a church? You know, um, if your dream or vision is something that you can accomplish on your own, then it's too small. God gave Nehemiah a God-sized vision for God. Watch this. God's city, God's people, and God's plan. That four months and fasting and prayer 
gave Nehemiah an understanding of what God was calling him to do. But he invested. He did fast. He did pray. We know Nehemiah wasn't a Baptist. Because Baptists can't go that long without some fried chicken and mashed potatoes. And gravy. That's amen. Somebody said amen. <laughs> don't, don't forget the gravy. That's right. So... So here is this guy suffering from, really he's sad, he's afraid what the king might do to him, and yet somehow he perseveres. See, this isn't a message about depression. It's not a message about anxiety. It's a message about perseverance. It's a message for you and for me. I figured this out about halfway through the week. Um, we'll go ahead and go to the next slide so I don't keep talking. That that it was a message to me that no matter what other things I am going through in my flesh and in my spirit, and I don't watch this, we don't minimize that. Remember, depression is not a weakness. Depression is not a sin. It's something that people go through. It's something that people go through. Nehemiah's strategy was walking closely with Jesus, with God. Nehemiah's strategy, your strategy and my strategy must be walking closely with Jesus. I can tell you, I, I, I can tell you by the day, if I have my devotions in the morning, if I do it first, if I do it before I do anything else, it is highly likely that whatever sadness or grief I may be experiencing in my life will not impact my day as negatively as if I don't have my devotions first thing in the morning. It's walking closely with God, investing in that quiet time, investing in prayer, investing in the scriptures, hearing from God, hearing from God how he is calling you to serve him and who he is calling you to be. That is how we will begin to combat things like depression and sadness and anxiety. And don't misunderstand me. Doctors are good. For some people, medication works and it is good. Talking to a counselor, a therapist, or a doctor, uh, particularly if their advice coincides with what God and the Word of God says, that is good. I applaud you for having the humility and the courage to talk to somebody about what you're going through. But don't forget to talk to Jesus about what you are going through. Amen. So we see some things about Nehemiah, right? We do see some things here. Um, In this next slide, oh, wow, I like that. Very nice, very nice. Okay, verses 9 through 18, next slide. Here are some things that we're going to see about Nehemiah. Uh, Timing, and so watch this. He comes to Jerusalem, and he was there for three days. Hey, three-month journey, dude needed to take some rest, right? He stopped in a Holiday Inn Express. He got a nice bed. He didn't talk to nobody, right? But listen, God's not done with him yet, right? Watch this. And I arose in the night, I and a few men with me. I did not tell anyone what my God was putting into my mind to do for Jerusalem. And there was no animal with me except the one that I was riding. Some even say that because it was nighttime, he didn't want the traitors, he didn't want the traitors and the gossipers to know what he was doing. He didn't want the enemies to know what he was doing. They say he probably even rode a donkey. I didn't know this. Probably even rode a donkey instead of a horse because a horse would make more noise than a donkey. Yeah, you know what? I didn't know that. Anyway, and he said, I didn't share with anybody what God had put in my heart. I got up in the middle of the night. I grabbed a few of my boys and we headed out. Listen, sometimes, sometimes when God sends you on that journey, 
Um, there's a time to be quiet and then there's a time to share the vision and you really need to seek God's wisdom. Sometimes people will, we share, if our timing is poor, sometimes people will discourage you and mock what we're doing or mock what you are doing and you don't need that. But so here we go. He goes out at night. He went out at night by the valley gate in the direction of the dragon's well and on to the refuse gate. That's the dung gate, right? I don't have to tell you all about that. Inspecting the walls of Jerusalem, which were broken down and its gates, which were consumed by fire. Then I passed on to the fountain gate in the king's pool, but there was no place for my mount to pass. The wall was so broken down and everything was so busted up. He couldn't even, he had to change his path and go around to take another look. And then after that, he turned around and went back the same way. I, I tell you all, that late at night, right, he knew that there were people who weren't going to like what they were doing. He didn't want the enemies to know what was going on. He didn't even share the vision with the people who he brought with him yet. So here we go in verse um, 17. Matter of fact, he didn't tell the priests, the nobles, the officials, or the rest who did the work. Then I said to them, you see the bad situation that we are in. That Jerusalem is desolate. Its gates are burned by fire. So he shares, he begins to share the vision with the people. One of the things that we have to do is be honest. Hey guys, this is going to be rough. He said, look, you see the bad, we are in a bad situation it's rough out here, okay? He shares the, he begins to share the vision. He shares with the people honestly. Being truthful, being honest is so important. Um, but he's also very wise in what he does. Couple of things we talk about. Um, we talk about timing. I you had to forgive me. I um, no, we're just going to go old school. If you look in Lamentations, uh, familiar verse in Lamentations, chapter 3. This is what the Word of God says. Maybe it would have been better to just look on my paper. Lamentations, chapter 3. Mm. All right. Forgive me, guys. I got too much going on up here today. The verse in Lamentations, verses 25 and 26. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the person who seeks him. It is good that he waits silently for the salvation of the Lord. And you remember last week we also talked about uh, Proverbs uh, Proverbs 8, 32 through 35, right? Now, therefore, O sons, listen to me, for blessed are they who keep my ways. Um, verse 34. Blessed is the man who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting at my doorposts. For he who finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. Nehemiah, listening, watching, and waiting. We talked about that last week. Timing. He shared the vision when God gave him permission to share the vision. 
Now, Nehemiah had this plan, right? And the reason he got this plan was directly from the Lord, but there was also a lot of wisdom involved, right? Proverbs 16, 9 says this, The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. Sometimes we think we're hearing from the Lord. We need to settle down and go to prayer and make sure we're really hearing from the Lord, right? Because God establishes your steps. Proverbs 16, 3, commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. Nehemiah certainly did this. Why I love Proverbs 16, 1 though, same chapter. The plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. Nehemiah was wise in what he did. He sought God. Proverbs 8 says this, Does not wisdom call and understanding lift up her voice? On top of the heights beside the way where the paths meet, she takes her stand. Proverbs 8 is speaking of wisdom in the first person, right? Where the paths meet, she takes her stand beside the gate, at the opening of the city, at the entrance of the doors, she cries out. Wisdom is available to you and me. The people of the city went in and out of those gates, the very ones that were burned down and broken that were getting ready to be rebuilt, right? And God says of wisdom, the writer of Proverbs says of wisdom, it is crying out. There's another verse nearby there that says, cries out to you, O simple ones, hear me, be prudent, be wise. So even a simple person, and I laugh about that sometimes, my dad used to call us simple, simpletons sometimes when he got mad at us. And yeah, I know, right? And a few other adjectives on either side of it. But, but, but even a simple person can be wise if what? If I get quiet in front of the Lord, if I listen, if I watch, if I wait. Sometimes, and the Bible says in Proverbs, wisdom is available to you simply by asking God for it. Nehemiah did these things. So he was very specific. You know, Ecclesiastes chapter 3, right? There's a time to be born and a time to die. There's a time to build and a time to tear down. The wisdom there is, you know, throughout the course of one's life, there are seasons of life. But I say timing is everything, right? So Nehemiah is very careful as he's persevering in the journey, as he's persevering with confidence, as he's dealing with depression and sadness over the state of his country because of his love for God. And then we see in verses 19 and 20, at the end of Nehemiah chapter 2, you know it's going to happen. It's always coming because as soon as, As soon as you are serving God and you are overcoming anxiety, you are overcoming the things that might slow you down, you're walking closely with the Lord, all of a sudden there's trouble. All of a sudden there's trouble. Persevering through opposition. We see at the end of chapter 2, But when Sanballat the Oronite and Tobiah the Ammonite official and Geshem the Arab heard it, they mocked us and despised us and said, What is this thing you are doing? Are you rebelling against the king? When they mocked them and then scoffed at them, have you ever heard, and sometimes if you have a warped, no, some people have a warped sense of humor, right? Um, I was raised that way. And I will laugh at inappropriate things because of what my 
the way I was raised. Now, when you, you are out on the street and you hear somebody who's good at mocking other people, sometimes you will giggle. Sometimes you will get involved and become, no. Sometimes you will giggle, but mocking is harsh. When I just use the word mock because we're in church, I'm not putting anything else around it, right? But people use coarse language and say evil things. So these guys, they mocked them. That was not just a little hee hee ha ha. They were saying they were cursing. They were talking about their moms. They were doing everything. They mocked them. The opposition was only just beginning, by the way. What is this thing? And they despised them. Basically, they hated them. They hated what they stood for. They hated them because they were Jews. Has anybody ever, you ever felt hated because of who you are or what you look like? Yeah. Yeah, they hated them because they were Jews. They hated them mostly because they were afraid because they had an inkling about why these guys came back, right? They hated them because of who they were. They hated them because of what they stood for. They even hated them because of their religion and what they looked like. They mocked us and despised us. And then the lies begin, right? What is, oh, you, you, oh, you're rebelling against the king. Mm-mm, can't wait to run and tell that, right? So, so it begins, right? The opposition begins and it's going to get much worse. And I'm not trying to be funny. I'm just saying if I just said they mocked us, they didn't just call them a couple names while they were walking down the street. Listen, they had it in for them. And we're going to see in the coming chapters exactly what that means. But here again, watch this. How do I respond when someone mocks me or despises me? What is my response to others? I can tell you, if I'm not careful, what it might be. How do you respond when people disrespect you? How about this? When they disrespect you publicly and in front of others, right? Now, mind you, now, sometimes we get ourselves into stuff. Sometimes we get our own selves into stuff. Nehemiah is serving God and bringing his people back to the city and he's on a mission from God. And they're mocking him ultimately because they fear, they fear him and hate God too. So, so this is righteous suffering on Nehemiah's part. Sometimes I suffer because I say something dumb or I'm in the wrong place where I shouldn't be in it. But, but nonetheless, how, how does one respond? Mm, 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 mm. I gotta, I gotta pray about that some more. I'm not even gonna talk about y'all today. I can't. So I answered them, Nehemiah says, so I answered them and said to them, the God of heaven will give us success. Therefore, we, his servants, will arise and build, but you have no portion, right, or memorial in Jerusalem. He gives them a two-part answer. First and foremost, he gives them God, right? He said, we will be successful because of the God of heaven. Mm. So he brings God into it right away. I bring God into it is more of God in it and less of me, right? But then he gives them a political and legal answer as well. Samaritans believed in God, but they did not worship God as they were supposed to, right? And so, so he says to these Samaritans and others, by the way, he says, you have no right or memorial or portion. He says, kick rocks. He says, you had no business here. But that was all he said. He said, one, we're going to be successful because of God. And two, you don't have any business being here. And he stops. He didn't defend himself personally. He didn't need to. He didn't respond specifically to what they said, did he? 
He didn't, he didn't try to defend himself. Um, he knew he had permission from the king. He had, oh, here's my letters. No, he didn't do all that. They didn't deserve it for one thing. But secondly, he didn't fear them because of God. So how do I respond when I face opposition? This is a good question, right? How do I respond when someone mocks me or disrespects me? You see, one of the systems that's broken in our city is how we respond when people mock us or disrespect us. And that's why hundreds of people are dying from violence. That's why men and women and teenagers and kids are being shot to death in our city because we're not, we're not teaching each other how to respond appropriately to those things. If I trust God, if I'm walking closely with Jesus and I trust God, I can get myself out of that situation without responding inappropriately and making me, you, or someone else vulnerable to violence. But we're not teaching our kids that enough. We're not modeling that enough in our city. This is one of the systems in our city that is broken. And if we, as followers of Jesus, can model this openly, publicly, and unashamedly, hopefully, hopefully someone else will catch on and they won't die. But again, Nehemiah verses 19 and 20, persevering through opposition. Listen, my friends, some days, some days, perseverance, you know what? It's just some days you're going to get up and just get your clothes on and make the bed. Some days I don't even worry about making the bed. You ain't get the clothes, get your clothes on and get out the house. You know, when you are struggling, that's right, just going to get messed up again. But you had to persevere through that depression. We had to persevere through that. And you know, and we see that Nehemiah did it through his close walk with Jesus. It doesn't say Nehemiah was miraculously cured from depression or anxiety either. He persevered through it knowing what God was calling him to do. So he was faithful and he was obedient. So today, even though I'm sad, I can be faithful to God and obedient to God's word. Today, even though I don't want to do anything because I feel like I feel like I'm wading through mashed potatoes, but I can still be obedient to God and do something, do something right today in Jesus name. So perseverance, guys, Nehemiah persevered through all this emotional upheaval. And look, his emotional upheaval was because of his burden that God had given him for his people. And most certainly it is your walk with Jesus, my walk with Jesus that gives me hope that gives me the ability to persevere. So it comes through a right relationship with God through Jesus Christ. I can't persevere. Sometimes in the program, we say fake it till you make it. Some people don't like that. It worked for me. Sometimes that means just doing the next right thing. And you know what? That means I'm obeying God. For someone, so someone who, who's in recovery from addiction, if I don't take a drink today, it's a good day. You know? Um, if I don't get high today, it's a good day. That's one more day. And tomorrow I can get up and do the same thing. You fill in the blank. It might not be addiction to drugs or alcohol. Like I said, it could be that depression. It could be that anger. But today I got through the day and I didn't slap anybody. Hey, praise Jesus. Amen. No, but, but perseverance, walking closely with Jesus, spending that time in prayer, that strategy to overcome what it is that will prevent you from serving God and loving people.